Okay, have a seat. So if it's your first time here, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to pick up on a few episodes uh, tonight in the life of Jesus as Mark shows it to us. Um, uh, Several years back, uh, one of you all was telling me a story about their friend from middle school. Um, I think his name was Kevin, but I'm not sure. And uh, the setting was a private high school where everybody had to wear uh, a uniform. And so everybody was dressed exactly the same, except the one thing that wasn't uniform uh, was shoes. And so the way you set yourself apart was by your kicks. And uh, this, this guy's friend, Kevin, uh, had these really nice shoes that he would tell people they were like $300. These are my $300 shoes. He was in love with his shoes and would point them out. But he didn't just point them out all the time to set himself apart. He actually had a briefcase, like a custom briefcase that came with the shoes that he would carry the shoes in. So like he would ride to school with his shoes in a briefcase, and then he would arrive at school with the briefcase, and then he would sit down and change out of his shoes and put the briefcase shoes on. And then when it was time for recess, uh, he would take off his shoes, put them back in the briefcase. (laughs) And then go and play, and then come back in, change into the briefcase shoes, and then change out of them at the end of the day for the ride home. Um, which, to me, is a great story of completely missing the point. This Kevin missed the point of shoes. Like, uh, what are shoes for? Shoes are things that we invented to make walking around easier, like to make human transport on our feet more comfortable and safer. And yet here he is lugging around shoes in a briefcase. Um, They're there. They exist to make transportation easier. But carrying a briefcase of shoes (laughs) makes transportation more cumbersome, more difficult, more things for you to drop, more things for you to walk over. And we miss the point of so many things in so many ways all the time. Kevin's briefcase shoes are ridiculous. But we do it incessantly. And here in these passages, we see three episodes where Jesus is confronting religious people on how severely they have missed the point of what things are about. So let's look at the first episode. Um, it's actually in the middle of our passage, but it's, it's the one we'll start with. We'll start 2.23. On one Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields And as they made their way, Jesus and his disciples, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look what they are doing. It's not lawful on the Sabbath. So Jesus is walking along by a grain field with his disciples. And what they're doing is they're picking heads of grain off and they're tearing them apart and and eating them. Uh, And the Pharisees are saying that's not that's against the rules. You're not allowed to do that. A little background, this whole notion of the Sabbath. Uh, it was given by God if in the very opening chapter of the Bible. God makes all of his creation. And then chapter 2, he rests because he looks at his work and he says, this is great. And he takes a break from his work of creation. And then uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, as the first five books of the Bible unfold, the, the whole notion of people taking a Sabbath day, a day off, the whole grounding of that, the whole purpose of that is to say you're going to be like God who took a break and you're going to remember God who 
brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery where you had no rest. And so now once a week, God is going to say, you rest the whole day long. You take a whole day off. But the commandments in the Bible are not super specific about what that means, about how that goes about, about what that should actually look like. And the Pharisees, and as the Jewish tradition unfolded, they were like, you know what? How do we really know if we're keeping the Sabbath? How do we really know if we're resting? We need like a lot of specific rules to make sure we don't break the big rule. And so they had come up with lots of extra rules. It was, um, there was a limited number of steps you were allowed to take, speaking of shoes, of how far you could walk on the Sabbath. So sometimes if you have read through the Gospels, they'll talk about a Sabbath day's journey. And a Sabbath day's journey was a, a, a length of time, a length of space that was permitted. That's how many steps you could take, but no more. Uh, there was actually, um, this is crazy, in, in their laws there was a law against spitting on the Sabbath. Can you imagine why? Because spitting is like watering. And if so if you spit on the ground, you might be like, oh, that's a moist piece of ground there. It's quite moist. I'm tempted to plant a seed there. And so if you saw the spit, you might kick... You might kick a little hole, and you might plant a seed, and that's work. Um, and so they, just, they see the disciples doing this. And just to be clear, like, here's what they're doing. They're, like, picking a piece of grain and then, like, kind of rubbing it in their hands to get the husk off and then eating it. They're snacking. They're shelling peanuts. I mean, it's essentially what they're doing. And it, it seems so petty. It just seems like, what? Seriously? Uh, but, but bear in mind that in, in the culture of that day, like, they were dead serious. They were completely serious. Like, haven't you read? We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and you're harvesting. Like, picking heads of grain and doing this is part of harvesting. Harvesting is work. Work is forbidden. Therefore, you can't do that. Your, your, your people, Jesus, are breaking the rules. We're, God's law is so precious and valuable, we shouldn't even get close to breaking it. And so we're not going to get close to it. We're not going to pick heads of grain. Verse 25. And and you can kind of see where they're coming from. Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and he was hungry. David, an Old Testament king. He and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself. So here's, here's the thing. When I, when, I, when I think about the way the Pharisees are saying, hey, you can't pick that, you can't do that, Our instinct is to go, God, stop taking the Bible so seriously, right? What's your deal? But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you're taking the Bible too seriously. He says, you're not taking it seriously enough. He says, he takes them back to their Bibles, and he's saying, haven't you read? Didn't you read that part? Were you paying attention? You've missed the point of the law. Why is it there? What purpose does it serve? 
the Sabbath is not there to starve people who are hungry. It's not there to make things worse. David ate this bread when he and his people were starving because he knew that there was something more going on. He got it. Why don't you guys get it? But I want to stop there and say, have you read? Jesus says, haven't you read? Have you really read the scripture if you're a Christian? Have you read it even at all? Not just have you understood it in the sense that Jesus is talking about, have you read it? Um, have you guys ever heard of Bart Ehrman? Encountered that name in your Christian origins classes? He's a professor at UNC Chapel Hill. He's written a lot of famous books. He's a major skeptic of the reliability of the New Testament. But he says this in his book, Jesus Interrupted. He says, a few years ago, I started asking my undergraduate classes about their views of the Bible. I get the same response every year. The first day of class, with over 300 students present, I ask, how many of you would agree with the proposition that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Whoosh. Hands are raised all over the auditorium. And then I ask, how many of you read the Harry Potter books? And then whoosh, everyone, like everyone in the room, their hands go up. The whole auditorium. And then I ask, how many of you have read the entire Bible? Scattered hands. Maybe a few here and there. And I always laugh and say, okay, look, I'm not saying I think God wrote the Bible. You're telling me that you think God wrote the Bible. And I can see why you might want to read a book by J.K. Rowling. But if God wrote a book, wouldn't you want to see what he had to say? For me, it's just one of the mysteries of the universe, how so many people can revere the Bible and think that it's God's inspired revelation to his people and yet know so little about it. Just to be clear, Bart Ehrman is shaming you, not me. <laughs> but he has a point. Have you, have you, if you're a believer in Jesus, you think that this book has something to say, that it comes from God? Have you actually read it? And here's what's so fascinating in our text is that the Pharisees actually had. I mean, they had studied it meticulously and had memorized it. But Jesus says to them, not just us, but to them, haven't you even read it? They assume that they know it because they've memorized it. But he's saying, have you read it? Have you paid attention? Have you seen? Have you remembered? Do you understand? They assumed that they know it, and many of us do too. Um, I got a new phone yesterday. It's an iPhone 8. It's not really mine. I'm leasing it because that's the way it works now, I guess. And so, you know, reinstalling the apps and having to re-sign in on different things. And then, like, what, what, what happens when you install an app? Like, there's a little dialogue screen with, like, all this little tiny print. And then it says, I have read and agree to the terms, right? <laughs> and you click it, right? Like, literally no one actually reads and agrees to the terms. We're just like, I assume it says some things that are okay, and I click it. And that is how most of us treat the Bible. That's how I think about the scripture. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what that thing says there. I agree, move on. How can I use it, though, right? 
Uh, I think I get it. Um, Bart Ehrman says that we must be insane. I think he's right. He's like, this is one of the, I love it. He says, it's one of the great mysteries of the universe. Um, The Pharisees had read it. And some of you have too. But Jesus drives them not saying, okay, you've got it. Or, oh, you just didn't read it. But he drives them back into it to understand it more deeply. Did you miss the point? You've read it, but how closely have you understood it? Does your interpretation of it jive with Jesus? And Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They were acting like the Sabbath is this thing that exists and we've got to protect it. He's saying, no, this thing was a gift. God's law was a gift. God didn't create the Sabbath to starve people or to make their life into a burden. He gave it to them so that they could be unburdened, so that they could be liberated, so that they could be free, so that they could be restored. And the next episode picks up on that theme. Um, the story, there's a story of grain, now there's a story of healing. And Jesus entered the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. I picture like the little book six of Harry Potter, since we've read that one. <laughs> um, uh, the little Dumbledore hand, you know. Uh, and there's this man with a little Dumbledore hand. And they watched Jesus, the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill it? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. What about that? Jesus got angry. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So here, the Pharisees are missing the point of the law in a a couple of huge, huge ways. Um, First, they're using the day of rest, like the day that they are saying is so sacred that you can't even pick grain to, like, lay in wait to see if they can catch Jesus. Like, can we catch him? Like, what's he going to do? And it's so ironic because it's like at this point they know that he heals people. So they're like, let's see if he heals someone on the Sabbath. Let's see if he works a miracle from God on the Sabbath. Um, But also, more importantly, they're ignoring the purpose of the Sabbath, but also the law of love. Which, you know, the golden rule, do unto others, you have them do unto you. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself and love God above all others. That's in the Old Testament too. It was already there. They're completely ignoring the law of love. Who cares about this man with a withered hand? Let's see if we can catch that guy. Um, And Jesus sees through them, so he asks them, is it lawful to do harm or to do good, to save life or to kill? And then they they were silent. He has tricked us, and we are not going to answer that question. So... The Sabbath, even in the Old Testament law, it's both about resting, about yourself refraining from work, but even in the Old Testament, it's about giving rest to others. In the Old Testament commandment, it says, neither you nor a stranger within your gates 
This idea that a sojourner from another country who has come to reside in Israel, who doesn't worship the God of Israel, and the God of Israel says, don't make him work either. Actually, even animals were given the day off. It's this idea of both taking rest, but also granting it to other people uh, to take a break, to restore. Um, And of course, ironically, they are using the Sabbath to do harm and to kill. They prefer to hurt. Um, The Sabbath was made for man, and they missed the point. Have we missed the point? Have you missed the point of God's law? Well, touch on the particular idea of Sabbath, but just in general. I doubt most of you on Sunday mornings like lie in wait to figure out a way to conspire to kill someone (laughs) on on the Sabbath. Um, But have you missed the point... Of school. What is the point of school, supposedly? Like to learn and to grow, to develop your mind, to engage in the real world that God has made and the variety of disciplines that you're all studying. And yet you and I, we take it as a way to rack up points and to create reputations and to get this little number that we want to get that now gives us a definition that we can show to other people. And we miss the point. Uh, service organizations, right? Oh no, even RUF. Like, you, service, or, what is the point of a service organization? It's to serve other human beings made in God's image that we want to love and serve, right? Um, it's so fascinating. I mention this a lot because Kelly Crace, the guy that's building the big waterfall building with the acupuncture for us, uh, he does amazing stuff. He's, he's awesome. Um, but he loves, he loves to talk about this. He loves to say that, that at William & Mary, on a list of stressors, the number two source of negative stress in our lives is extracurricular activity. It's not even on the top ten at comparable schools. It's fascinating to me. I still haven't figured out why that is. But, there's this, it's, but part of it is that we're missing the point. That that same thing we do with school, we're doing with service organizations. i got to get this on my resume, this, 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 this. And part of it's like the competition, jobs, you know, career day, and i got to show them that I'm a thing, and I did a thing, and here's the badge, and, you know. But we take it as another way to, to get a job. Oh, well, what's a job for? If we miss the point of a job. Is the point of a job just to earn money? Well, what's the point of earning money? To like have comfort and success. What's it for? Or is, it, is every job, every vocation part of participating with God in his creation? Whether you're a scientist or a school teacher and you're saying, for the scientist, I'm picking up God's creation and I'm looking at how wonderful it is. And I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm trying to see if we can understand it in a way that actually affects other people and the world. Like the literal world. Globe in a way that's beneficial, that, that nurtures God's creation and treats it well and is a blessing to human beings and is a gift to them because I love them. Or God's word, like the Pharisees. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to know it. And it's small group. I'm going to throw out a zinger. <laughs> well, in Ecclesiastes it says, wow, how did you know that you were so... Spiritual. 
Um, or even your own keeping of God's law, like the Pharisees. Like you, got, you know the Ten Commandments, maybe. You know the general principles of what a Christian life should look like. And you miss the point, and you take it as a way to judge those people. Look at what they're doing. Glad I'm not over there. Glad I'm in here with the good people. Or is God's law a way to say, wow, you know what? When I really study his law closely, I realize just how desperately I need his grace. And receiving that grace, I go, man, this is how the world ought to be. This is, how, this is the kind of human being I want to be. This is how life on earth should, should look. And it's this beautiful, wonderful way to live instead of a weapon to throw at other people who maybe don't even believe in God in the first place. We miss the point of life itself. The point of life is to glorify God and enjoy him and delight in him, to seek first his kingdom, but we use it to earn up our points and save up our money and have our success and our career, and we seek first our comfort and reputation and our status and enjoy ourselves and glorify ourselves or even me like preaching a sermon right now I can I can preach a sermon with this idea of like oh people are liking this that's great people showed up or not Uh, people listen to the podcast or not um I can feel good rather than this idea of like okay the living God has spoken and people need to know about it and let's just be here to preach and to serve and to proclaim that to them. My shoes are very expensive, and so I have them in a nice briefcase <laughs> called my GPA, called my podcast count, called my judgment, called whatever you want to call it. But Jesus is showing them and us what things are really about. Uh, he doesn't just leave us there, He's angry at their hardness of heart, it says. He's grieved at a hardened heart, and then He heals the man. Showing them the real purpose of the Sabbath. The real purpose of the Sabbath was rest and restoration and freedom. And so much of our stress, actually, that frenetic feeling that you all are feeling right now, I'm feeling right now, actually comes not from the things themselves, but our missing the point of what everything God has given us is for. My stress over my midterm, my stress over my lab, my stress over preaching a sermon is not about what God really made it for. It's about how I've made it about me. Does that make sense? And that makes me want to snap and scream. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to heal you. This is what it's for. It's about life and wholeness. The original Sabbath command, as I said before, was about celebrating God's good work of creation. He finishes creation and says, behold, it's very good. I'm going to sit down now and just sit back and look at it. Do you ever do that? Not in like a, I'm awesome. Here's my grade. Hey, I'm so happy. I got a 98 on my thing. Now I need to tell everyone on Instagram. (laughs) I mean, just that. That was a big day's work. I'm just going to sit back and look at what I've done today. And smile. I did it. I'm a little bit like God like that. That's great. Um, And the Sabbath was also about, remember, you were slaves and you had no rest. Oh, I've I've been given rest. I've I've been allowed. God has commanded 
this 24-hour vacation for his people every week? Like, crazy. Sometimes we think of the Sabbath as like, oh no, oh gosh, sermon on Sabbath. I did some homework on a Sunday afternoon after church because I had to have a do, and my ox was in the ditch, so I did it, you know. Um, a little biblical reference there. A little Bible comedy. Um, but if, it's, if the Sabbath is first and foremost this burden for us, then it's clear that we've missed the point. I, this really hit home for me. Um, well, hang on. First and foremost, it's a gift because you and I need to rest. I've had, I'm not singling anybody out here, I've had three different people tell me in the last four days that high school, and it goes beyond that, like even my kids in elementary school with the level of homework that they're given and the pressure that's put on them for standardized testing and whatnot, but especially in high school, especially if you play a sport or do something else, becomes this time where you sort of mask everything that's going on inside of you by just doing more activities and meeting your goals. So much so that you didn't have time in high school to like stop and think or feel things. <laughs> All the feels, like they just would maybe hit you out of nowhere. And for a lot of people, they show up at college and it's like, feelings are, yeah, I need to join another club. <laughs> like, right? like, like, I'm going to take 19 credits this semester um, because of the feelings. Because God, is, God has told us, you know, you need to, like, because we're like God, it's not a bad thing. We are like God, and so we need to rest. We think of ourselves like, it's, we might be able to say, like, it's okay that I'm not omnipresent, and that uh, means I'm present everywhere, and omnipotent, like, capable of doing all things at once. It's okay, it's okay that I can't do that. God doesn't say it's okay that you can't do that. He says it's good. This is very good. It's very good that you're finite. It's very good that you're limited. He made you that way on purpose. And after he did that, he took a step back and looked at it. So that's good. Kind of proud of myself. He, he loved it. That we need that rest. We need that restoration. Shameless plug for fall conference next weekend. Get away. When your brain rests, it's neurology. When you kind of unplug, you actually do better in your performance, by the way. Not that the commandment is because it's going to make you perform better, but and fall conferences in the Sabbath. But it's a way to apply rest, okay? Um, Give it to me. Uh, But we get so worried about the negative legalism of the Pharisees. We get so worried about the da-da-da-da-da-da-da that we miss the positive of this notion that we've been given this command to rest. Can you imagine in the original setting of the Israelites who are like manual labor all day long, every day, sun up to sundown, and then like, okay, new rule. On the seventh day, we stop. We're done. Oh, what a gift. Um, this hit home for me. Go back to what I was saying earlier. I went to a Christian college, and every semester we had a day of prayer. And I remember my professors... Many of them did not care that much about the day of prayer, uh, but classes were canceled, and they encouraged us all to like go and participate in like prayer and worship and taking a break for the day. But it was on a, like a Wednesday, so it's like, but I have class tomorrow and the things do. And I, I Don and I were engaged. I was a junior, junior, senior, senior, and uh, I just had to like 
No, we were just dating. I was a junior. We were dating, and I was going to go visit her that weekend, and I had a ton of work to get done. So I wasn't going to be able to do the day of prayer stuff, and I had a friend, like, sit me down and give me, like, the heavy, like, man, just imagine, you know, if you took a whole day and didn't do any work and just prayed and worshiped and spent time with people, just let your school go, didn't think about it for a day. And I was like, that sounds awesome. And I'm pretty sure God told us to do that every week. Like, like... And I'm not doing that, but I'm, it was him telling me this about day of prayer that I was like, oh, wait, I'm pretty, oh, yeah, Sabbath sounds amazing. And so here we are, like, right before midterms, you know, they're coming, they're trickling in, they're next week, after fall break, and here will you marry. I mean, we just, like, we mix up stress like a smoothie, and we're just all like, <laughs> okay, like, you just feel it all just, oh, it's the worst. And Jesus is saying, no, the Sabbath is not a burden, it's a gift. And you need to rest, and you need to be able to stop. It's a time for joy and celebration. And he says, and it's all pointing to me. Did you notice what he said? So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I'm here to show you what it's about. It's about life and restoration and how things ought to be. In verse 6, the Pharisees immediately went out and they held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Again, irony, a committee meeting is breaking the Sabbath, right? And um, that's called work. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because it's even with the Herodians, which were the, a, a sect of people among the Jews who were actually in alliance with the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people who were like the arch enemies of the Pharisees. Like, we got to kill that guy. Let's just work with them. It's, it's incredible. Jesus unites them <laughs> uh, in their desire to kill him. And um, why? 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 What is it that upsets them so? Uh, Jesus is busting open their wineskins. I'll explain that in a second. So let's look at the first episode, which is where our passage started, where there's a question about fasting and feasting. Um, this is back in, in chapter 2, verse 18. This group of people comes to them and they're like, hey, John's disciples fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples aren't fasting. Like, so you got second class disciples. You're hanging out with gluttons and tax collectors and sinners and what's going on here? In verse 19, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. That's a, lots of weird things going on here. Lots of different interpretations. I won't run through all of them, but I'll tell you what I think it means. Um, when he talks about the old wineskins and the, and the old cloth, I think what he's saying is the way that you all think that God's law works cannot hold the kingdom that I'm coming to bring in. And because you are so stuck in your ways of legalism and self-righteousness, 
I'm taking that new wine into new wineskins, my kingdom into the people that you think have no business anywhere near God. I'm going to put it in them, and they're going to take it in. And they are going to grow. And they are going to taste the fresh wine. I'm coming to make all things new. The kingdom is breaking in in a new way that your way of thinking cannot contain and cannot hold. And I'm going to show you what that kingdom is like with them and not you. They don't fast. Because now that I'm here, they understand that everything that you think that is about is actually about me. So when he says this is all pointing to me, my kingdom busts the mold, um, he's partly, he's not just saying you're out. He's saying don't miss it. Have you not read? Don't you understand? He's grieved their hardness of heart. He's saying, will you understand what this is really about? And then he uses this beautiful metaphor that's all through the Old Testament. He says, I'll be taken away later. That, That whole idea of, how can, the, how can the guests fast when the bridegroom, which is the groom at a wedding, is with them? And all through the Old Testament, God, one of the major metaphors he uses to describe himself is the husband, the bridegroom of his people. He talks about Israel as his bride, God's people as his bride, and him as the husband, the bridegroom. He's the Lord and husband of his people. And Jesus is saying, I got to go to a wedding recently, pretty great reception. They were in the back of the room. How weird would it be if I'm at a wedding reception, like, I'm fasting. I'm so on the cake. You know, like, I'm, I'm good. Like, no, you, do you know where you're at? You're at a party. You're at a celebration. This is the best. They're here. This is the time. This is when we party. This is when we eat. And Jesus is saying, I'm that. This is it. And they understand that. So we're not fasting for now. But then he also says their time will come when they will fast. When I'm taken away. And there's a twofold thing going on with the taken away. First is his crucifixion, his death. So the life giver is going to have his life taken away for his people. So foreshadowing is his death, and death, and as we saw earlier in verse six, they've already started to plot to kill him. But the second is his taken away that he will be ascended into heaven, that he will leave. And that's where you and I live. And so we live in this balance of the bridegroom has come, and so we have seasons of resting and fasting and feasting and celebration, and we also are longing for him to come because he's been taken away, and so we still fast. We still abstain. We still wait. We live in this, he's already brought his kingdom, and yet it's not yet all the way here, and we kind of live, we just dance this thing back and forth of celebration and lament, of joy and grieving of feasting and fasting back and forth. But his point still remains that we know the bridegroom. The Christian life is most characterized by feasting more than fasting. It's more about celebrating. It's more about joy and life. And so he's saying, stop lugging around your briefcase with your cool sneakers in them as if life is about you or about rules or about making a name for yourself or about anything other than the groom at the wedding. And we are the bride. That that's what it's about. So take your shoes out of the briefcase and put them on and get on the dance floor. 
That's what his law is for. That's what the Sabbath is for. That's what his commandments are for. That's what life is for. And don't miss the point. But dance with him and drink his wine. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're the Lord of everything, even Lord of the Sabbath. And we pray that we would rest and relish in you. We would love you and serve you and follow you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand up. We're going to sing one more song and we've got a bunch of announcements.